So I want to introduce you to a couple Hungarian brothers. Their names are Zolt and Geza Pilati. Zolt and Geza Pilati. These two men for, for years lived without any money, broke, uh, homeless, uh, foraging to just make it. They actually lived in a cave outside of Budapest, Hungary. Um, their brothers, and they, had, they were estranged from their family. They had no friends. They had no social network. They were complete social outcasts. They were pariah. The way they actually survived is they would go into dumpsters, and they would find trinkets and try to fix them up, and then they would sell them on the street, and that's how they got food. I mean, these guys were like barely, barely surviving. But what they didn't know about themselves is that they were heirs to a $7 billion German fortune. Seven, that's with a B, $7 billion. $7 billion fortune, and they didn't know it. They had a grandmother who lived in the south of Germany who had left them billions of dollars, uh, but she didn't know they existed, and they had never met her. They They were estranged from their family. And so these two guys, for years, lived as paupers, lived hand-to-mouth, scraping by, barely subsisting, barely surviving because they didn't know who they were. Today, we are in part nine of our Kingdom Agenda series, and I'm titling this sermon, Knowing Who You Are, because a lot of times, even as followers of Jesus, myself included, we have beliefs about who we are, but they don't align with who God says we are. And so a lot of times we can walk through life as spiritual paupers, barely scraping by, barely getting by, barely living hand to mouth because we don't realize that we are heirs of, children of the king. We don't know that we have all of the rights and privileges that are attached to being children of the king and all of the responsibilities and duties and destiny and purpose of what it means to be children of the king. We have beliefs about ourselves, but those beliefs are not always accurate. And so a lot of times we walk through life without peace in our heart, without joy in our relationships, without confidence in our decisions, because like, like, like the, the Pilate brothers, we don't know who we are. We pick up beliefs from all kinds of places, and our beliefs, this is the way it works, our beliefs, our internal beliefs, actually dictate our external actions. So the things that you believe about yourself, about your identity, ends up spilling out into the life that you experience. I had a a biology uh, teacher in high school. Any biology people here today, medical people, biology folks? We got a few. Okay, so you guys just keep me honest back there, okay? Um, There's a whole row of biology grad students back there. PhDs, some of them, so okay. I better get this right. Um, So uh, my biology teacher explained it this way. She said, you have a genotype and a phenotype, okay? Your phenotype is the external visible characteristics about you. Your hair color, your hair texture, your skin color, your bone structure, your height, your eye color. These are all things that people can see about you. That's your phenotype, okay? That's what 
is observable, your observable characteristics on the outside. But your observable characteristics on the outside are dictated by your genotype. These are the internal constellation, uh, constitution of genes that dictate what you look like, right? Now, you don't see somebody's genes. You just see what's on the outside of them, right? So your genotype actually dictates your phenotype. So if your genotype says you're going to be tall, dark, and handsome, then that's what you get. That's what you're, that's what you're going to be. If it says you're going to be you know, short and bow-legged, hey, that's what you're working with. You just roll with that, okay? Because your genotype actually dictates your phenotype, okay? Uh, in the same way, in, the, in our spiritual lives, our internal beliefs about ourselves dictate our external actions, So the way we live in life, the way we move through life, the way we interact with other people, the way we uh, talk to people, the the things that we do are a result of the things that we believe about who we are. Are you with me? So our internal beliefs dictate our external actions. And we pick up these beliefs in all kinds of places, uh, consciously or unconsciously. So there are all different sources for our views or our beliefs about ourselves, right? One source is your family, the way you grew up. What your parents said, what they communicated consciously and unconsciously to you, that helps to inform your spiritual genotype, what you believe about yourself. So I was very fortunate to have a father who would speak positive affirmation into me and would say things like, man, you're you're a champion. He'd say, you're my man. You can do whatever you want. You've got it, man. Go for it, right? He spoke those words into me and that helped to form my beliefs about myself. But a lot of people have not had that experience. So if you grew up in a family where there was neglect or abuse or emotional distance or, uh, you know, callousness, then you may grow up with some beliefs inside of you that you are not worth it, you are not worthy, you are unwanted, you are undesirable, you are a failure. You 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 may be living out of some of these beliefs that you unconsciously picked up through your family experience. Another place that we pick up um, beliefs about ourselves is from our friends. So I don't know if you, especially with kids and, and teenagers, like they will, um, if, if you notice, like when they go hang around somebody, then they come back and they're kind of acting like that person. Have you, have you seen that happen? Where like they're, they're hanging around somebody and maybe that person is loud and obnoxious and then they come home and they bring that into the house. Uh, and, and you go, hey, you know, I don't, don't identify with that, right? Because kids are still working out their identity. They're still picking up pieces of, of their identity from those people around them. Another place that you pick up sources of your identity is from your feelings, the way you feel, right? So my son, Jameson, he's eight years old. He's working on multiplication right now, um, which is amazing to me because I, I think I was like 35 before I got to the multiplication, but it, I was a little slower in, in the math area. So, so I'm working with my son, Jameson, on his math problems, on his multiplication tables. And again, he's, he's second grade and we're on eights. We're doing eights, you know, and eights are hard, you know, seven times eight. 56, right? I mean, you know, it's, I memorized that right before the sermon today. So, um, uh, but, but so we're working on eights and he's not getting them exactly right, you know? And he turns to me and he says, dad, and he gives an identifying statement. He said, dad, I am horrible at math. And I'm like, horrible at math. Because in second grade, man, I mean, you know, addition was where I was rocking. I mean, I was like, so he says, I'm horrible at math. Why did he say that? Because that's the way he felt. He felt horrible at math, and so he identified himself as being horrible at math, right? So I said, okay, well, let me ask you something. Like, how many other kids in second grade are doing, you know, know their multiplication tables? 
He said, oh, maybe, maybe one or two, right? And, and the truth is that they've actually moved him up to the third grade math program because he's so, he's so good at math. So he says, though, I'm horrible, right? Because that's what he felt. But the thing is with our feelings, they don't always describe objective reality. So sometimes we feel a way about ourselves, right? But it doesn't actually describe the reality. It feels like it describes the reality because we feel it and it's in our voice. So I'm, try, you know, so I'm trying to pull apart his feelings from reality and from the truth, right? And say, okay, I know you feel this way, but let me give you some, some external evidence that maybe the feeling doesn't accurately describe who you are, right? So we pick things up through our, our feelings. For guys, a lot of times we pick, we pick up our identity through our function, right? So one of the first questions that guys ask other guys is, so what do you do? right? What is your function in the world? What is your thing? What, do you, what is it that you do with your life, right? Because a lot of times we identify ourselves through our function, what we do. If I tell you, hey, I'm a doctor or a teacher or a custodian or a pipe fitter or a, you know, a clerk or a teacher or whatever I am, I, I, like, I identify. My, in fact, we use the phrase, I am a fill in the blank, right? Because we're saying, I identify myself this way. So through our function. And then one of the most powerful ways and, and, and most unfortunate ways that we identify ourselves is through our failures. We, we remember our failures so clearly, so vividly. We remember every time we blew it, right? And the, the, the challenge with, the, the, the reason failures are so sticky is because we can't blame them on anybody else. And we say, man, I failed at that, therefore I must be a failure, right? And we can even point to the evidence. We say, look, see, I can tell, I can show you why I'm a failure because I failed, right? And so we, we unconsciously or consciously, we pick up all of these forms of identity and we carry them around with us. And then we live out of these beliefs about ourselves. We have this genotype, a spiritual genotype, and then our phenotype is the way we live it out, right? And a lot of times these beliefs may or may not be accurate. Some of them may be accurate and some of them may not be accurate. And so we're like Zolt and Geza Pilati. We're like living out a life based upon our beliefs about who we are without actually knowing precisely who we really, really are objectively as defined by God. So what I want to do today is I want to propose to you a, 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 a spiritual truth from the scripture about what God says and who God says you really are, right? So if you're here today, and let's say you're not a believer, you're just checking it out, you're kind of, you know, just seeing what you think about all of this, then this is a great sermon for you to hear because you get to just sort of observe what God says about those who follow Jesus, what he says about who you are when you follow Jesus, right? And if that seems like a compelling vision of life to you, then I would invite you to make that commitment yourself. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then this is absolutely essential for you to get, okay? Because otherwise you are going to be walking around living a spiritually impoverished life because you're going to be basing your life upon false beliefs about who you are, not on objective truths, objective reality about who God says you are, okay? So let's dive into what the scripture teaches on this. The scripture says... Uh, in, in 2 Corinthians, it says, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So this is, this is identifying language. This is saying, this is who you are. You are a new creation. 
The old, it says, is passed away. Behold, the new has come. And then it gives another statement about who you are. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, right? And then it says, for our sake, God has made Jesus to be sin. So he's made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him, we, you and I, might become the righteousness of God. So God is saying, you're a new creation, you're an ambassador, and you are the righteousness of of God. So let's, pull, let's parse this apart a little bit. The first part, when he says you are a new creation, that is a literal translation of what the Greek says. It says you are a brand new thing, ex nihilo, out of nothing. He is creating something brand new in you. you are, when you become a follower of Jesus, this is important. You got to get this. You are not a modified version of yourself. You are not an enhanced version of your current self. You're not the 2.0 version of yourself. He says, I have created a new nature and planted it inside of you. It is the difference between heart surgery and heart transplant. It's a different thing. And he's saying, when you become a follower of Jesus, you actually become a new creature. You become something different. Now your, your external actions are going to take some time to catch up to your new identity, right? So you don't immediately... External, your phenotype doesn't immediately change, right? But your genotype does. God says, I've created something new in you. So the first thing that he's saying to us is you are not who you were, okay? You are not who you were. You, were, you are something new. You are something different. When you become a follower of Jesus, you actually are transformed by God. Your nature changes. You become a different creature, Right? And the problem is, a lot of times, the first battle that we experience when we, when we become a follower of Jesus is that our identity is under threat of being stolen. So we become a new believer, we're made into a new creature, but immediately, and because all of us do it, and we all do it every day, including me, we forget who we really are. A lot of times we move through life not thinking consciously about who God says we are and what our role is. And what our purpose is. And so we're living out of old, old stories and not living out of this new, new creature that we are, right? And we're living out a, 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 an untruth about ourselves. And God is saying, look, I've made you a new creature. Has anybody ever had their identity stolen? Anybody ever had their identity stolen? A few people, yeah. I, I did one time. It's so frustrating. It is so frustrating to have somebody steal your identity. I was living in Los Angeles and I was living alone. And I uh, got a, 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 visa ma- a visa bill in the mail. And the visa bill said that I owed $3,000 to visa. Um, and I thought, that's weird because my visa is in my dresser drawer. Like, I don't even use it. I don't even take it out. And I'm looking at the bill, and it was like, you know, hundreds of dollars of gas, gas stations in one day. Just like all over the valley. Burbank, Pasadena, you know, everywhere. There's like, and then tires, groceries, like massive amounts of stuff. And I'm looking at this bill and it dawned on me, someone has stolen my identity and they are out there spending money as if they are me and trying to convince people they are me. Um, and, and so I'm, you know, I'm stuck. So I go, I have to literally show up at the bank with my ID and say, hey, this is me. And that was not me, right? So this, I, I don't associate me with that because my identity was stolen. The, the, the scripture says that the thief, meaning the enemy of your soul, comes to kill, steal, and destroy. 
The first thing that, that, that the enemy of your soul wants to do is to misidentify you, is to steal your true identity and to make you believe that you are not the thing you really are. He wants to take that from you. And Jesus says, but I have come that you might have life and that more abundantly, right? So, so the, the enemy is coming to steal and Jesus is coming to say, look, I have identified you as something different, as something entirely different. In fact, if you're basing your identity on your past, then you're missing out completely. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, a Gentile, neither slave nor free. He said, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ, uh, uh, in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs. You are heirs. You are Zolt and Geza Pilati, right, to the promise. What he's saying is, uh, it's, not, it's not about your pedigree, okay? It's not about your heritage. It's not about your ancestry. It's about what I'm, what I'm making you into. It's about what I'm turning you into. And in fact, Paul, in the, in the statement, uh, in the original passage that we were just studying, he says, remember what he said? He said, you are ambassadors, right? You are ambassadors for Christ. That's who you are. What he's saying in, in that passage, when he calls you an ambassador, he's saying you are not defined by your ancestry. You are defined by your assignment. I'm putting you on assignment. I'm taking you out of what you think you were and what you think you are, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm telling you who you are. You are an ambassador. You are moving forward. You are representing Christ. God is speaking to the world through you, Right? So um, we spent some time um, in last month celebrating Black History Month. And one of the things that they did at my kid's school is they had this concert for, uh, for the kids. And um, I don't know about any of you, but like usually kids' concerts are not that interesting to me. Um, nothing against kids or concerts, but it's just the two of them together. It's like, not that. Um, you know, I mean, they're kids, so that's probably a bad attitude. I mean, but you know, it's supposed to be like, but anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, um, we'll work that out at, at a different time. But um, so anyway, you know, you go to these concerts and the kids are kind of singing and staring and walking around, whatever. But anyway, this concert uh, was amazing. And they just had it last, last week. It was amazing because they were singing songs about identity. And they ended with the anthem, We Shall Overcome Someday. And I want to tell you, it was like every parent, every person in that auditorium was riveted by these little kids standing up here and singing that out with all that they had, right? Because what they were doing in that song, that song was an anthem for the civil rights movement. And what people were saying in that song is, you cannot define us by our heritage. You cannot define us by the color of our skin. You cannot define us by the thing that you want to define us by because we are defining ourselves as overcomers. We are going to overcome injustice and poverty and and we're overcoming bigotry and hatred. So, and then it says the phrase, deep in my heart, I do what? Believe, right? Because the belief is what dictates the action. Deep in my heart, I do believe that we shall overcome. So he's saying, look, I've got, a, I've got the spiritual 
genotype of knowing that I'm a child of God and that I'm here on for a purpose and I'm here on mission and I'm here on assignment and I'm going to live it out and that's who I am. You can call me whatever you want to find me any way you want, but this is who I am. And that's what's so, so powerful and so resonant about that song is because it gets this very extremely important notion, right? That, they, that, that you are not your ancestry, you are your assignment. All right? And when Jesus, when the, when the scripture calls you an ambassador, what that means is that you are here representing a different kingdom. That's what an ambassador does. A represent, a, 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 an ambassador represents a different kingdom to the kingdom where that ambassador resides. Okay? So the ambassador does not represent the kingdom in which the ambassador lives. So when, when the Bible says you are an ambassador for Christ, what the, what the scripture is saying is, you are here as, a, as an envoy from heaven to represent heaven to earth. That's why you're here. That's your role. That's your assignment. You are here representing heaven to earth. You're not representing earth to heaven. You're not representing yourself to the earth. You are representing heaven to earth. You are an ambassador for Christ. And so, you, you know, an ambassador represents the sending nation to the receiving nation. And so, so God is saying, look, the church is an embassy, right? It's, it's a little bit of heaven a long way from home, right? And, and so when we stand up against injustice, it's because we are ambassadors for a king who believes in justice. When we stand up for the poor, it's because we believe and we represent a king who loves the poor. When we stand up for the marginalized and the estranged and the, and the stranger, it's because we represent a king. We are ambassadors for a king who loves the stranger. So who we are is ambassadors for Christ. That's who we are. We are defined not by our ancestry, but by our assignment. That is who you are. And so when your primary identity is not based upon any of these other sources, but when it's actually based upon God's call that you and I as followers of Jesus represent Jesus, right? Then who you are is defined by whose you are. Who you are is defined by whose you are. What that means is if, if you are primarily an ambassador for Christ, then your primary identity is defined by who you represent. Okay, who you are is defined by whose you are. The, um, the there are several of these. I'm a, kind of an Abraham Lincoln buff, and there are these biographies about Lincoln and about uh, specifically about his kids. He had all, he had these little kids, and Will Willie and Tad were two of his younger kids, and apparently they were like notoriously mischievous and would run through the White House and just act crazy. And, you know, uh, Tad apparently on, on one occasion as a little boy um, tied a goat to a wagon, like a kid's wagon, and then got in the wagon and then like rode the goat, you know, through the White House during, uh, uh, during a tea party. Mary Todd Lincoln was throwing a tea party and all these dignitaries, wives, and here comes this kid on this goat, you know, like through the White House. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and, and so people would then obviously ask like, why are these kids like allowed to run around, run amok through here? And they would be quickly reminded because these are the president's children, right? So who they are is defined by whose they are, right? We are God's children. That's who we are. It's who we are because it's whose we are. 
We are God's children. We are like this, 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 these two brothers who didn't know who they were even though they were who they were, right? And God is saying to each and every one of you, look, I want you to know who you really are because when you know that, when you believe that, then it expresses itself in the life that you experience. The benefits, the wonderful blessings, and also the rights or the responsibilities and the duties and and the purpose and the destiny. So in 2009, some German lawyers reached out to some some, uh, social workers in Budapest and they said, hey, we're trying to track down these two brothers, Zolt and Geza Pilati. Uh, Can you help us find them? And so these social workers went out and threw you know, through Budapest, and they found these two brothers subsisting hand-to-mouth, barely making it in this cave. And they said, hey, we just, we're here to tell you who you really are, right? And they told him, you are heirs. You're, you had a grandmother who's since passed, and you had a mother who has since passed. And, uh, and, you know, through German, you know, law, you are the direct descendants of this woman who had this $7 billion fortune. You are the heirs to that. I think they were interested in learning who they really were at that point. Um, and, and it's the same with you and I, right? God is saying, look, what I really want to do in this passage, I want to communicate to who, you who you really are so you can experience who you really are in this life. And so you can live out the purpose and the destiny that God has placed on your life because you know who you really are, right? What he's saying is, look, you're not alone. You're not worthless. You're not an accident. You're not, inva- you're not uh, worthless. You're not meaningless. You're, not an a- you're none of those things. You are a child of God. And you were called to be an ambassador for Christ, to be a representative on this earth of who God is and, and, and who Christ is. And I want you to know that I've transformed you from the inside out. You are a beloved child of God. So imagine with me just for a moment, if all of us, as a community collectively believed this? What if we really believed this? What would it start to look like in our world if we really believed that we were on resident mission, an uh, an envoy from God to the earth to bring his love, to bring his peace, to bring his justice? Imagine bringing healing to the brokenness of our world. Imagine bringing justice to the injustice that we see around us. Imagine us bringing abundance to the poverty that we see around us. Imagine bringing joy into the broken relationships that are all around us. Imagine what it would be like if we really brought the kingdom of heaven down to earth. Because when we can imagine that for ourselves as a family, as a community, that is when we really really begin to see who we really, really are. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we just thank you right now for your word, for your instruction. We thank you, God, for for aligning our beliefs with the truth of your word. 
I pray, God, today that every single person in this auditorium would come to know who they really are, who you've made them to be, you've redesigned them, and you've reassigned them. God, I pray that every single one of us would live in the reality of this truth, that we are a new creature, that we are an ambassador for you, that we are your righteousness, that we are your children. And help us, Lord, to live out as a family, as a community, on mission with that truth at the very heart of our identity. The other things that form our identity, let them fade into the background and let us see ourselves, God, for who we really are in you. Pierce through the darkness of our soul and shine the bright light of your truth and your love into our hearts. Let us become who we really are. May you be honored and may you be glorified by us today. In Jesus' name, amen.